The Boundless Pursuit Podcast is proudly sponsored by Built Wild DNA. Fuel your day on the water in a constructive and healthy way. Energy and fitness supplements designed with the outdoorsman in mind. Get your physicality in line with your mentality and maximize your time on the water. Use promo code BOUNDLESSPURSUIT for 10% off of your next order at BuiltWildDNA.com. Welcome to Boundless Pursuit, a weekly podcast providing motivation, entertainment, and education to anglers and outdoorsmen. I hope that the stories you'll find here will encourage you to chase your passion more fervently, to open your mind to new opportunities and perspectives. Your engagement and feedback is critical to the growth of this show, and I would love to hear your suggestions on topics or potential guests. You can reach me at boundlesspursuitfishing at gmail.com or at my website, www.boundless-pursuit.com. That's where you'll find all related articles, media, and merchandise. Please remember, the show will gain traction from your support. Be sure to like, comment, and share this podcast to your friends and connections. I'm your host, David Graham. Now let's get on to today's episode. Today, I'm being joined by my buddy, Drew Price out of Vermont. And Drew is a well-versed angler and guide in the varied pursuits of different species of fish in and around Lake Champlain. He was the first to ever complete Vermont's Master Angler Program, and he is just a true multi-species angler. But he's taken his passion for different species beyond his own enjoyment, advocating and even guiding for lesser known or lesser desired species. Enough so that his talents have attracted the attention of various big name anglers, including a visit from Jeremy Wade and the River Monsters crew. And Drew has been promoting lesser desired or known species for decades, back when there were only a few ears listening. But today, he's generally in the mix of the conversation with the growing popularity of gar, carp, bowfin, suckers, and others that are in that category. And while Drew is well-versed in a lot of different species, this conversation went very heavy on our mutual interest in bowfin. And when you get two diehard bowfin enthusiasts, that's really just hard to avoid. I really enjoyed this conversation. Drew and I have talked online for many, many years, so it was really cool to be able to enjoy a real conversation that isn't tucked away behind a computer screen or a phone screen. This is Drew Price, Vermont Master Angler. Yeah. Anyway, Drew, uh, dude, I I knew when I kind of conceptualized this whole podcast thing, I'm like, you know what? I want to like really go the tone of those other fish, underappreciated species, neat fish that people don't know exist that are right in their backyard all the way to like you know, bucket list fish in different countries. So I had put together like a list of people, obviously, you know, I can brainstorm. And uh, you were obviously like on the top of the list. Granted, you aren't <laughs> the first person I reached out to. Yeah. Kind of knew that you were like, I mean, me and you have been talking for, man, 10, 12 years plus. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. You more so than probably most anybody that I know. You, you, I, I don't know, man, you like articulate a message of, appreciation for the fish in your backyard, the different kinds of like a variety of fish. And so I knew that I wanted to like build up a little bit of a base of listeners and then hit them with that kind of voice. Cause there's so much value yeah. in it. But, um, but well, thank you. I know that we just talked almost an entire podcast before I hit the record button. 
<laughs> it's like we've got to the funny thing is and we mentioned this before i feel like we've got like the two i don't know like most diehard bowfin guys on the face of the earth and i'm like <laughs> i tell you like we've got to avoid and i'm gonna need your help you help me i'll help you <clears throat> we're gonna get there but i want to hit some other topics first yeah, because yeah, I, that's fine. This, that's this fine. thing, like the Bofin train, is coming down the tracks. It's the inevitable, inevitable monster in the room. Oh, I know. But oh, I know. It's a topic I already know, but never gets old. But I oh, want to talk know. about. I'd rather. I'd rather be enlightened first. And so I think <laughs> what's most fresh on my memory and maybe your memory is this recent trip to Patagonia, and I want to start there because yeah. So yeah, that's my first trip uh out of the country other than to Canada. Uh although I was born in Canada, so that's uh um you know, in some ways that doesn't count, but at the you know, at the same time it does. Um yeah, it was my first big international trip. Um furthest I've ever been away from home, you know, it's uh, about 6200 miles from where I live here in Vermont. Um it was just an incredible opportunity that I had to to <laughs> to go to magic waters patagonia which is an incredible lodge um with amazing guides food that is out of this world the fishing is is absolutely outstanding um and just the whole experience was you know like i i i've been back now almost two weeks and like i'm still kind of like processing it and i'm yeah. still <laughs> a little bit at a loss of for words uh, about how incredible it is i mean you know like we're after i got picked up at the 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 airport in the Balmacita and i was with a couple other guys that were staying at the lodge and we're, we're we're heading down the road about a 45 minute drive from from this tiny little airport um and uh you know look out the window and boom, there's a condor, you know, an Andean condor. Oh my gosh. Um, that's awesome. You know, and like, I, I, I was told that I was going to see condors and I was really excited about it. But like, when you see a predatory bird with a 10 foot wingspan, Ugh. that like, that's like, okay, you know, yeah. <laughs> we're not in Kansas anymore. Right. <laughs> you know, like, this, is, this is a different ball game here. And, uh, you know, to be in such a different environment that has such dramatic changes, you know, the ecoclines there, you know, the change between one ecosystem and another is like, it's incredibly abrupt. I mean, you go from like, um, like a, a, a dry desert and you're, you, you pretty much like turn a corner on a road and you're in a temperate rainforest, you know, like, yeah. Um, just the, the amount of different ecosystems and, you know, like walking along a river in these, this, this, you know, it's basically a, a, a desert area. And all of a sudden you're going through this forest and it's stunted trees and, and there's like a Spanish moss kind of thing hanging off the trees. And, you know, like I, I just, you know, I went fish from fishing dry flies to trout to like i feel like i'm gonna have to dodge orcs in middle earth you know yeah. <laughs> it's 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 just amazing and mm. incredible incredible people the the warmth of the people that were at um the chilean people 
and uh, especially the people at the lodge. Uh, Eduardo has really built something something really special there. I was at one of the three lodges that Magic Waters has, and and you know I'm really looking forward to get back to to go to the other two. Um, but you know, incredible to see this, you know these these trout fisheries that are, I mean, they're world class. Yeah. Um, you know, like I fished some spring creeks in the states. I fished spring creeks in um, in Pennsylvania, um, and a couple other places. And um, those spring creeks are a different ball game. You know, here in the states, you know, spring creeks are known for for big wily trout that are require like really light tippet. You know, like seven mm-hmm. x tippet. So you know, like one point four one point eight pound test. You know, like tiny tiny stuff tiny yeah. tiny flies you know and i'm fishing uh with this guy guillermo um the first day i'm fishing with him on a spring creek and i was expecting you know like i was expecting to do smaller stuff and i was fishing for brown trout like i fish for bowfin you know, like i got 12 pound leader i got I'm, I'm 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 literally dropping a fly into a hole in the weeds and jigging it up and down just like i do like literally awesome. the yeah. same thing i do for bowfin and i'm catching these huge brown brown trout yeah and and it was like this is great this is great you know like i'm falling in the mud and like you know the, the second day i was with guillermo i ended up like totally falling in the river, like, like filling my waders because I didn't listen to him. I was, you know, it's like, Guillermo, yeah. <laughs> I can make it across the river. Cause I had a, I had a, a, this beautiful Brown, like jumps a couple of times and it goes around a stick. And I was like, Oh, I got to get this thing off. And, uh, and I was like, Guillermo, I think I can make it across the river. And he's just like, don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I think what I can is do this it. local though. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, he's like, don't do it. And I took a step and I was like, whoa, whoa. Yeah. And whoosh, you know, I filled my waders. Um, and, uh, you know, I like landed the trout. I still managed to land the trout. And, um, you know, like, you know, I ended up having to, they, they had to bring me dry clothes from the lodge and, and a new pair of waders. Um, you know, so I ended up like, buck naked next to a, a, a river in chile for These for damn half an americans hour. like all the you know, same laughing about it the whole yeah. time you know it was, <laughs> it was great um you know like like i i did a you know a total dumb move and and i paid the price for it but you know laughed about it the entire yeah. time right well, you know i love to bring these topics up of people making such trips because i get as much as i'm interested in in the fish itself i have this like very like special interest in knowing like where people's minds are at um Mm -hmm. you know because i understand you've been a lifelong angler i mean you've been fishing forever right you gotta uh, clearly have a very deep appreciation for a variety of kinds of fish but it's only recently that you decided to kind of like i don't know venture off and do something i don't know i i out of the norm. I don't even know if I call it out of the norm, but like certainly out of your comfort of your backyard. So right. I, I like to know people's like thought process, like what, why, I guess your why, like what led you to get to a point where you said, you know what? I, I, I think I want to do this. Like it, why there, why now those kinds well, of things you know, always interest me. So there's a few answers to that. Um, and they're a little inter- interrelated. Um, so there's a lot of there's a lot to unpack there. Um, yes, you know yeah. the, the big the big why 
you know, and, and I'm going to get, I, I, I guess I'm going to get kind of deeply personal here. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, my life has been, you know, like, um, you know, I, I've been a, a lifelong, a, a, not a lifelong angler, but I've been, I started fishing in my twenties. Um, but that was a, that was a way of like me, like able to finding a way to, to like control my energy, find, find a way to, 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 to drive myself, um, drive, drive my creativity, get myself outside, get myself active. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've always been somebody who, who needs to do a lot of stuff with my hands. And, and so tying flies came naturally to me with that. Um, but you know, I, I had, I didn't have the greatest of childhoods, um, you know, d- despite but both, you know, I think my parents were hearts and were in the right places, but it, it, it wasn't a great childhood for me. And, um, and recently, you know, I've kind of been really introspective about myself. Um, you know, since I, I think I hit, you know, around 50 and when I got to around 50 and I was like, you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff about myself. I I'm, I'm curious about, and, um, and, and, you know, kind of just, digging into it like i i ended up realizing uh and and taking some tests and and i'm autistic um and and i think autism has been has played a big role in my life uh i know it has um mm-hmm. and without knowing it you know i mean i got to my 50s not without even knowing that i was autistic um uh a couple of people pointed out some stuff that that you know made me think about it and um you know like huh you know now i know why i do things but that it's it played such a major role in my life and one aspect of of my life that it played a big role in is it it, it kept me fearful i was yeah. afraid of a lot of things it kept me afraid of doing things and 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 kept me from experiencing a lot of things i wanted to experience um and you know recognize finally recognizing that in myself uh helped me decide to get out of my comfort zone zone Mm-hmm. more um and also you know like developing a stronger sense of self-worth um as far as uh, as working goes you know like um i undervalued myself in my guide service um and i undervalued myself in what i was doing for a career yeah and um so i lived really close to the poverty level for a very long time so i just didn't have the financial resources to be able to do things that I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And once I realized that I was living in fear of a lot of things, um, you know, I was was never afraid of of being on the water and doing stupid, crazy things while on the water, but, you know, like afraid of doing, you know, some major things in my life that would be positive for my life, like changing jobs to make more money. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Um, Which for a lot of people is like, Oh, this just makes sense. I'm going to change my job to make more money. And it's like, well, no, I, you know, like the way my brain worked, like, okay, I'm, I'm here. I'm comfortable. I'm, I'm, I'm making enough money to stay alive. Um, you know, like, and I can fish. Okay. We're going to, we're going to be all right. Um, not realizing that that was holding me back. Um, so that's, you know, that's a that's kind of a real big admission for you know a lot of people that I don't know or now know something really deeply personal yeah. about me. Um, but you know, that's 
if you want the the reality of why I'm starting to do these, these things and and travel and and exploring things that that I've never been able to do before, it's you know that I um have have been really introspective about who I am and mm-hmm. um what I'm capable of doing. And you know, when I got when I when I got my boat and I got my captain's license, um. I gave myself one hell of a good raise too, yeah. <laughs> um, which, which, which gave me a lot, lot more capability to do some of the things that I, I've always right. wanted to do. Um, and, and, and frankly deserve to do. Um, and, and, um, you know, um, I'm really excited. I also have, uh, a lot of gratitude for, for friends of mine for helping me out with that. You know, I've got a couple of friends who have really encouraged me and, and, and opened opportunities for me mm-hmm. to go do some of the things that I've done, you know, like this year I've, you know, I, I, I went and, and fished with my, with my buddy Blaine chocolate in, in, uh, Virginia for muskie, um, which that's the largest fish I've ever caught in my Dude. life. That thing was unbelievable. We're going to go there. Cause man, um, yeah yeah um that that's a good story uh you know and and blaine is a, a wonderful human being that i really enjoy uh talking to and 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 i you know i i feel really fortunate to to consider him a friend um and also my my buddy uh tom rosenbauer has really opened up a lot of doors for yeah. me as well um and you know i have i've tom to thank me to to thank for um um you know, connecting me with magic waters, um, and, 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 uh, really getting that ball rolling for me. And, um, so it's really, you know, um, that's, that's a, uh, a short story made long, um, I guess, uh, to, to, to answer the question that you asked me, I mean, how did this happen? Um, and you know, like it's, um, I, I think there's a lot of people who in my, in my, in my place might be, um, afraid of saying hey you know like here's something that's you know been in my life that um you know i mean talking about things like you know being autistic or or you know mm-hmm. like other mental health or um you know and and you know i think we all have a, a certain amount of of mental health things that we all have to deal with and and they're oh, you know they're kind of the, yeah. they're they're the gorilla in the room for for most people that mm-hmm. uh, that that nobody ever wants to talk about but is always right there um and i think the more of us that that actually talk about it openly and honestly um it can, it, you know, and, and in situations like this where, you know, we're not, we're not on a podcast about mental health where we're, you know, it's a podcast about fishing. Right. Um, but, but, you know, like this stuff affects people who fish, this stuff affects people who draw, it affects people who are like, you know, making your beer or, or whatever it is. These are, these mm-hmm. are, this is about humanity. And, and, um and I think um having these conversations in, you know, in moments like this is, is yeah. important for, for a lot of people to hear. No, I, I totally agree. And I mean, <clears throat> we, I mean, we speak kind of the same language and I've always tried to tell people like the strongest medication for any kind of mental anxiety. Um, I don't know uh, if you're having a depression, depression. And like, yeah, it is. Um, There's no better environment to like clear the mind than stripping yep. all the artificial things out. And I mean, I'd say that's probably my biggest reason for going fishing. I mean, a lot of people yeah. ask, what well, what do I do? Maybe some people even think that I fish. I'm like, that's not it. I work in a factory. I mean, yeah. I manage people in like a factory operation, but I'm like, I'm in a closed in opera, like 
room managing a process. And while I appreciate the financial uh, benefits of that, all you know that is only going to go towards facilitating the time that I get away from there to like reset. Um, right. And so, and I like to know, I like to talk to people who come at it from that level a little bit more than you know, say the folks who have unlimited financial freedom right now there's no knock on that i i love stories of people who have unlimited financial freedom because uh something that they they entrepreneurship things like that like if they started started small and got there but it really speaks to you know you know i read between the lines a lot i think i look into things when people are talking and you'll find it's the great irony this whole thing me hosting a podcast is that in my personal life I'm extremely introverted. Like you put me out into a group <laughs> setting, I I do a lot of listening. I I don't know why. I very, find it very fascinating to listen where people are coming from, what they're interested in. I just don't talk. Yep. Particularly, I don't talk to people I don't have much in common with. I just I struggle with that. But I thought it was very interesting when I asked you about this dream trip, bucket list trip, you know, adventure for fishing. You didn't dive straight into the fish. You talked about the culture of the people there. You described seeing, you know, a condor. You you described the aesthetics of the area around you. And I think that, you know, people who, I don't know, who who have everything may bypass that sometimes in life. Yeah. Um so I yeah. I always love to to listen to that. I'm I'm like sort of on the cusp of making those first few trips. Um myself so i'm especially interested to talk to people who are just kind of i don't know in the early stages of that kind of uh travel but but um so that's that's awesome so i was like man i gotta ask him about this patagonia thing you know why you were there i mean now the fishing i think probably speaks for itself because the photos were were awesome yeah and there's a lot more and there's video there's there's a whole lot of there's a whole lot of fun stuff there but it's like the Um, ambient experience around oh yeah that like makes it more pure uh absolutely i think um i always wonder if people who do that you come back from a trip like that on a high right you have do you find yourself distracted while on your own home waters by you know oh man what's the next the next thing i can do is that really something you even battle with? Or I'm always kind of wondering. So, uh, you know, um, I got back here. Um, it was a, a quite a bit. It was a lot, much longer travel route to get back to Vermont than it was to go Patagonia. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a, I had a 23 hour layover in New York city, which was, <laughs> was not a bad thing. I got a hotel room and I just chilled out for a night, oh, which you okay. I, you know, I needed to do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, I, especially after getting stuck in JFK airport in immigration for two and a half hours, just like, you know, barely creeping through the line, just like, all right, you know, I'm finally back in the U S but I can't do anything because I'm not accepted to be back in the country that I live in, um, which is a weird place to be, but, you know, landed in Burlington, got my luggage and within two and a half hours, I was on Lake Champlain, you know, uh, I immediately (laughs) turned around and, um, you know, um, I I've enjoyed going other places and fishing other places. Um, home is still home, you know, Mm -hmm. like, um, I, there's a lot of places and a lot of things I want to do and a lot of 
experiences that I want to have. And I've got a lot of life left to do that. But I know where I belong, right? And Vermont is, um, it has what you know it's it's where i it's where i live it's you know it's it's where the heart is it's um you know um it's funny i'm gonna i'm gonna say this and you know like vermont is one of the 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 toughest states to date in you know and i'm I'm 53 (laughs) i'm single it's a really a tough a tough place to 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 meet people you know this is where a lot of people will come um after they get hitched to raise kids you know like Mm -hmm. and and there's there's news stories around here about how hard the dating is here and it's true you know it's it's a you know we've got the second smallest population of any state and it's and it's a difficult place to 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 date um and and i've bitched about that to my friends you know like i got one buddy kevin and i'm like dude you know like so yeah, I like I don't and I've never been married. And uh and, mm-hmm. and I'm like, Kevin, I don't, I don't know if I'll ever be married. He's like, dude, you're married. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, you married the lake a long time ago. And I was like, oh you know, and I can't I can't disagree <laughs> yeah. with him. Um, you know, which probably doesn't help my dating situation anyway. But um <laughs> you know what? Yeah. Um <laughs> but you know, like you you, you know where you you know where you belong Mm -hmm. like you you know like when you get to a place and you know like you know like the more i find out about lake champlain the more time i spend on lake champlain and in in the air in the area that i live in the more i want to keep exploring it Mm -hmm. you know like um you know i've said this on on other podcasts and i've said this in in writing and you know like this is a really interesting dynamic system that I live in, uh, yes. Lake Champlain itself, right? So we got a, a lake that's 120 miles long. It's 400 feet deep at its deepest point, which isn't too far from where I'm standing right now, or sitting mm-hmm. right now. Um, and, and um, you know, seven and a half trillion gallons of water. That That's a lot of freaking water. You know, that's at, that's at a mean height of like 96 feet above sea level. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I was here in 2011 when we had the highest lake level we've ever had, which is 103.3 feet above lake level. And I've seen it down as low as 93 and a half feet. And in it's not unusual to see a seven or eight foot difference in this lake level throughout throughout a year, throughout a season. So, you know, there's places that I'll fish in the springtime that I go back to in September. And the place that I was catching fish is dry land, you know, yeah. and, um, you know, so you it, like I, I use the term dynamic about lake champlain i I say dynamic system a lot because of that that fluctuation you know i i was here when irene hit and you know our lake level went from it went up two feet in two days when you think about that that's seven you know the estimate that i saw was 750 billion gallons of water you know i don't i don't even know if that's anywhere near how much water went into the lake but i mean for for that lake to go from 96 feet to 98 feet and lake champlain is not like a straight up and down it's not a bathtub right yeah as it gets up it like spreads out so you know it that's a lot of water when you start getting up into those higher you know lake levels that's a lot of freaking water um and and to see what 
the fish do and and you know like every year i kind of have to learn like everything's a little different you know the fish are not in the same place you know i've been fishing lake trout in in a spot near here um all spring and and um and it's a place that that you know like last year i was going out and i could easily get a dozen lakers in an afternoon you know in, in a couple hours and this year i was struggling to get a couple and uh just a few days ago i talked to my to uh my buddy rob thorne who's one of the best charter captains on the lake he's like that whole shoreline hardly catching fish on it this year like oh, okay so it wasn't just me you know yeah. um you know so so making those connections with other anglers you know the, even though i'm a fly fishing guy and uh you know and 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 i i i fly fish this lake more than anything uh i still have friends who are you know conventional tackle guys and and um and and i like to talk to those guys cuz they 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 have a different perspective and they give me different ideas and i can give them different ideas and and it's and it's a way to you know bounce thoughts and and um and to learn things um yeah and and i think it's very easy as as anglers for to 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 get um stuck in a specific raceway okay you know i'm a fly fisherman so i'm gonna do this and i'm you know you know guys who are using bait are bad because they're killing fish and or blah 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 blah. um you know i think we all bring something to the table um and um and i and i think um if you can approach other people who are doing something similar to yourself with an open mind um and and like you know be be willing to listen to what they have to say um and uh, and be willing to to be kind to them um mm-hmm. even if you don't agree with, with them especially if you don't agree with them right. <laughs> um and and um and and you know like try to talk a message of conservation um and and you know like when you treat somebody kindly um they're going to be much more receptive to what you have to say than if mm-hmm. you're like yo you're a jerk because you're fishing worms to catch trout well yeah. you know like maybe that's what they grew up doing and you know maybe they're having a good time doing it and maybe they do their best to release fish and maybe they don't know that you know like mortality rate with trout on and and live bait is is really high um you know so is you know like maybe maybe they're not aware um and you know talking to them and treating them as human beings is going to get you a lot further than oh, 100 percent. It is interesting <laughs> how tribal and I guess this is oh, yeah. all areas of life, but how tribal people get with fishing, especially. I mean, you're <laughs> right. People kind of like pigeonhole themselves in. Um, I don't know if it's that they're trying to add, like bestow value upon what they've accomplished in some weird way. <laughs> yeah. um, like my way is the best way. Uh, yeah. Or what? But it's it is interesting to see people who come from that angle because you know you have those categories of anglers, and no way is really the right way. I have no. all the respect in the world for people who've dedicated their entire lives to becoming the best at one fish. A lot of people have become rich by doing that. It's not yep. for for me, but I know that some of those guys have like I don't know they've like they've they've dialed in a one type of fishing to such a scientific degree. That I I have no like choice but to be impressed by yeah. that dedication. Just the same though, 
And I want to kind of dig into origins here a little bit. And we don't have to go back to when you were in diapers, but we'll, I definitely want to go back to when I think we Who says I'm not in diapers now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, Kidding. One thing, one thing with you that I love <laughs> is um, you've definitely, I don't know, you've stayed very consistent on a certain message and a certain tone of conservation and appreciation for other fish. And I love that because I speak the same language and I went to well, Facebook and I was like, man, when did, when did we first start talking? And I think it was around 2011, 2012. Yep. I saw where I had written on your wall, like commending you on an article that I'd come across. It was on like uh, that DP on the fly dot blog spot yeah. site that yeah. you had. And um, I'm like, you know, awesome. Because that was during a time, you know, it was back when finding another person that enjoyed Gar or especially Bofin was just like, right. you know, it was like you get so excited when you found someone else because the community yeah. was so <laughs> it was so tiny. Oh, yes, it, it was, was so little. And it was like oh, yeah. and, and um, that was back whenever there was like the Gar Angler Sporting Society and Bofin oh, yeah. group. Yeah. And, uh, and that was like that was like <laughs> that was like our refuge. You know what I mean? Oh, I, I put up a picture on my Instagram a few you know, a couple months ago. Um, and, um, and it really gets back to like, you know, where did the, the fishing bug happen for me? And, and it's funny, there's like this book from the 1960s from better homes and garden. You know, I could go grab it from my <laughs> shelf right now. It's called fish and fishing. And, mm -hmm. and it's like this, it's a classic, you know, you know, and it's all like the old, that old sixties, style book you know and everybody's wearing plaid you know flannel and uh you know like the whole family's in the red and black plaid flannel and and yeah. you know and, it, and it's just great you know there's some great like paintings in there but you know like um the picture i put up was the that was the picture that like really just got it for me it was just like this is i want to do this Mm -hmm. And and it was this picture of this guy with the gaff in the mouth of this fish holding it up, and it's lying on its side. And the, there's another guy with a steel rod, and it's doubled over, and he's wearing a pith hat. And, you know, they're all sweating, and this fish is in the mud on the side of the river. And, you know, and I couldn't tell what it was at, at, at that. You know, it's just, just a massive fish, probably six, mm -hmm. seven feet long. You probably already know what it is. Yeah, you know, I know the it, picture it, it, you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 uh you know, it's these two guys with an alligator guard. But that just sparked something in me. You know, there's all these other great pictures of. I, there's a great image of a or painting of a lake trout with the guy on the on the shore of Lake Superior. You know, trying to bring in this lake trout and it's wrapped all around. You know that, and that's fun. Um. And, you know, the musky, you know, with the daredevil in its mouth going through the weeds. There was all these great pictures. But the one that always sat with me was like, what is this fish? This thing mm -hmm. is crazy looking. It's huge. It's got these big scales. It's got these monstrous teeth. I want to know what that thing's all about. And yeah. there was, you know, there's images of bowfin in there. And, um, you know, and, and when I first started fishing in college, I always started off with typical stuff you know fishing fishing smallmouth bass and i went to suny plattsburgh and we had saranac river right behind the dorms and um you know i fished soft plastics uh just chucking these big you know 
lead-headed jigs with a with a little swim bait on them you know the, the old old style plastic swim bait little paddle tail things and you just smash these like 18 to 22 inch smallmouth left and right bam bam mm-hmm. bam and you're like <laughs> oh this is fun you know i'm out in my tevas and banging up my feet in the rocks and falling in the river <laughs> and just like having a great time and like huh um and uh but i remember going out a couple of times with friends down to the lake um and this is like in the early like probably 1990 91 and um i'll never forget the first time like we encountered bowfin um we're like we're down by the sewage treatment plant the mouth of the saranac river on, on lake champlain and you so know, fitting so <laughs> fitting right yeah. but um but there's this backwater area and there was these overhanging trees and we're underneath those overhanging trees. And my buddy, Jeremy's like, what is this thing? And they, they were literally right at our feet. They just swam right up to us. Yeah. You know, what fish does that? Right. Right. <laughs> um, you know, like you and I were talking about how curious bowfin are and, and how mm. smart they are. And, you know, curiosity is a sign of intelligence. And these things are like, what are these things doing on the bank? And they swim up. And I remember my buddy, Jeremy, just like wiggling a little spinner in front of him and whack, and shoot, bam, gone. And he's like, what the hell just happened? You know, there's water yeah. <laughs> all over the place, mud flying all over the place. And I was like, I am into that. I yeah. like that. I got to <laughs> do that. And, you know, that was that was the start of, of bowfin. And, you know, I remember going another place with friends and we were all chucking spinner baits. Um, and, um, you know, caught a couple of bowfin and I remember my buddy Glenn landing this bowfin and on a spinner bait and the spinner bait was ruined. It was, you know, it was unusable. It was bent and twisted in a way that, you know, like how did this even happen? And, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, like I am into this fish, you know, these things are just, they're just really badass. Mm-hmm. And then the more you learn about them, you're like, wow, you know, like you could be out of the water for like 24 plus hours and not have any problems. And then you read stories from, you know, I, I worked at a public aquarium for a while and, you know, there's a, there's a classic story of these, this bowfin that got forgotten about in the tank in the shed mm-hmm. aquarium in chicago for over a year didn't get fed for over a year and they they were like oh we we just found this thing and they started getting yeah. it it was fine yeah. you know like these things are just like you know people talk about cockroaches making it through nuclear blast it's it, you know it's cockroaches and bowfin and gar are gonna make yeah. it you know like you know these are these are you know survivors you know um unchanged for 300 million years mm-hmm. you know i i said this to you before we started recording you know to me there is no more american game fish no, than the 100%. bowfin it's 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 been here for 300 million years it's unchanged for 300 million years you try to tell me that a largemouth bass is the most american game fish i'm gonna look at you like you got three heads yeah because you are just wrong you are just plain wrong um and you know what bowfin fight better than largemouth bass yeah i'm gonna go on the record for saying that and uh you know i'm gonna have all this hate mail from all these bass guys Go ahead, you know, jump back on your spur- purple sparkle boat and and go out and catch your 14 inch bass all day yeah. long. Have fun with that. I will go after the bowfin all day long. Yeah. You know what? Uh, and and I'll and and I'll have a better time doing it. Yeah. And uh, you know, like 
you know, like it's not the money fish. It's, you know, you're never going to see, you're, you're never going to see, um, um, you know, like a, uh, an international bat, you know, both in tournament, uh, televised on, on, on ESPN or anything like yeah. that. Um, but you know what, I'm not interested in the bass car of fishing, you know, like no, that's, right. that's <laughs> I started calling it bass car. You know, you start seeing one of these guys fly into a bay, bay and make five casts and then fly back out. Okay. You know, if that's what you, if that's what get your jollies off, go for it. But I'm not interested. I'd rather <laughs> spend my time right here figuring out what is here and how to yeah. get it. And sometimes you got to move and, you, you know, like, you know, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that, but like, I'm not interested in like, you know, I've got eight hours to try to make all the money I'm going to make by fishing. You know, no, that's not, mm -hmm. that's not what I'm, you know, that's not what I'm into. That's not, that's not how I guide either. You know, <laughs> yeah. like when I'm, when I'm guiding on the water, um, I'm out there to educate people and I'm not yeah. just educating about fishing and techniques. Like I want to, I want to give them a sense of the place that we're at, you mm -hmm. know, like, you know, Lake Champlain doesn't just have a, a really rich um, ecological um, biological and geologic history, but it also has a really rich just history, you know, like yeah. this is, you know, this is, this is where the revolutionary war was fought. I mean, I, one of the places I go by all the time, it's like, it, I can give you the exact story of this. This is where the war of 1812 was won right here, mm -hmm. you know, in a one hour battle, That's right, awesome. <laughs> right here, like right where we're boating by this moment, you know, this is where it went down. Um, and, um, you know, like, I, I think if you're in a bass boat with a 250 horsepower motor and you're bombing around, you know, looking for that fish that's going to help you win the tournament, you're missing all of that. Oh, you're yeah, missing, yeah. you're missing the experience that, that fishing really is all about. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, you know, that's, um, you know, I, I actually get kind of sad hearing that there's there's colleges out there that are that are teaching people, you know, like where bass fishing is your major. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, like I get it. It is an industry. You can make a lot of money. You can you can make a living doing that, you know, and, and I, this is me speaking as a guide and I make, you know, part of my living as, as an angler. Um, but it's a different way of going about it. You yeah. know, like, um, and, 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 you know, like you miss out on the details. I think if you're, if you're flying around at, at, uh, you know, at, at 60 miles an hour on the mm -hmm. lake, you're missing, you know, you're missing the bird that's sitting on the, the bank, you know, you're, 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 you're missing, you know, the bowfin male guarding its babies. You're missing yeah. these gar that are spawning. You're missing, you're missing all of these really cool, cool things that you could be experiencing. Yeah. Um, but, you know, instead of like racing around, this is a way, you know, I, I see angling as a way of, of um, kind of getting away from modern society, getting away from everything and being able to focus on something, you know, that, you know, being immersed in an environment rather yeah. than being, you know, like, like oh, I got four hours to catch that, you know, five pound bass so that I can place in the tournament so that, you know, I can put all of these bass from all the different segments of the lake into one little bay. 
I mean, yeah. you know, like let, let, let's talk about like the ecological elephant in the room right there. You know, like you're taking fish from all over Lake Champlain and you're bringing them to Plattsburgh Bay and then you're dumping them right in the same yeah. spot all at the same time. And you're like, oh, uh, they're all going to do fine. Yeah, you're just going to you're going to put like 200 anglers worth of bass in the same area and then wonder why some of them are going to belly up because mm-hmm. they're all competing for the same food. Come on, guys. You know, yeah, maybe you are doing catch and release, but are you are you actually do you have the fish's best interest in mind? Right. In that situation. Yeah. And, and, you know, like, you know, I think we can get into fishing ethics right there. I think I just jumped into fishing ex- ethics big time and, and I'm probably going to get <laughs> some hate mail and, and I'm fine with that. You know, like if, if you know, if, if you don't agree with my message, then, you know, like. That's fine, um, you know. But I'm certainly entitled to that viewpoint, oh, yeah. and, and I think and I think it's something that 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 we have to discuss, yeah. Um, as anglers, like you know, I, I you know I'm not a tournament guy. I never will be a tournament guy. It's not my thing. Um, you know, like I do, I do compete against the fish. You know, like I I have set out and I've set myself goals. You know, the Vermont Master Angler Program was something I set out to finish. I mm-hmm. and so far I'm the only person who is who's who's done that. Yeah. Um and um but that was me against the fish. That's not me against a bunch of other people. I've tried tournaments and I get really like I get really anxious that I need to you know, I need yeah. to I need to show, I need to, I need to be, you know, whatever I, I need to be. I think there's um, um I think there's just like inherent characteristics that like People are geared certain ways, you know, and I think some people, and it's just, it's just not for me. And I, to talk briefly about like, I don't know, college, uh, bass fishing teams, it's sort of like those, I mean, they're kids. I don't know. I always try to look at, I don't know if there's a positive to take from it. It's not all of them. I think they'll dip their toe in that world and then they'll find their own path. Some of them may stick to the competitive side of it. Yeah. Somebody like me, um, I think some people are just naturally need to feel like they're they're deeply interested in like in depth problem solving and like like they're very competitive in everything they do. I would venture yeah. to say a lot of those just like professional bass guys, they're probably the type that will race you to the door or yeah. I don't know. Like it's it's people who are just competitive by nature. Whereas I right. I don't like the thought of having a time limit looming over my head. Um, needing to catch fish in order to, I don't know. It's just not, I don't, it's not what I do it for. But, right, um, exactly. And for me, like something like a bowfin is not, it, it is somewhat of a, a problem solving thing, but I always viewed like bowfin as more like, it's it's not so much um, something I need to outwit as it's like the opportunity to encounter something <laughs> really unique. <laughs> Because yep. I like that you brought up, and I'm backtracking just a little bit because I like yeah, go for it. Down, but you know, you talked about you know, from, sort of from like a patriotic tone, how American is a fish like that. But I think even more so than just the fact that they're prehistoric is like I think Americans were drawn to underdog stories. Like the bowfin right. is like bowfin is like the Rudy of fish because <laughs> you, you, yeah. think, you think of where they came from. Now I love to talk about this. It's one of my favorite talking yeah. points with regards to both. You think about where they came from and think of the other category of fish with similar history or came from a similar time period. You're talking about an alligator gar, 
a sawfish, a sturgeon, yeah. a lamprey. And lamprey is sort of in the category, like more like yeah. a bowfin. But a lot of these fish bring like characteristics and hardware, like sheer brute size, yeah. massive teeth, yeah. armor-plated scales, something that made them like able to contend against those unimaginable creatures that used to live. And then you yeah. look at a bowfin. It's not a really a big fish. It's sort of a soft-bodied animal. So what does it really bring into the table to fight against those sorts of things? But then it's like the Attitude. moment you the moment <laughs> you hook one, it all makes sense. Yep. Like Jesus, that will always be the fish that brings me back. Like that will always be. I could catch them. That could be the only fish I catch for the rest of my life. Because I'm yet to encounter something that seems so tranquil. And you you can attest to this. As oh, they're yeah. just when they're navigating through the water on their own, or they're just in a state of suspended animation. Or to your point, when they come up and I've had it happen so many times where I do a lot of canoe fishing. I yeah. can't tell you how many times, and I know you've had this happen to you as well, where a bowfin will come to the canoe. Oh yeah. Put like put the little tendrils of their nostrils on the edge yeah. of the canoe and like you're you're looking and they're yeah. like looking at you moving up and down i'm like this is nothing else will do this i'm like eye to eye they're they're looking you square in the eye yeah and it, but if what? they're a bit oh, i don't yeah. know if, if any fish that can instantaneously transition from like nice peaceful tranquility or just downright being inanimate to complete and utter unimaginable chaos, like in like so abruptly that <laughs> yep. it will literally make an audible noise under the water. Like, the whoop, the whoop. I'm like, oh That's my what I, god! The, yeah, you're like, wow! It's like a sonic boom under the water. They grab and turn, and you're like, what just happened? Yeah. And I, I hear it when they miss. I hear it when they hit. It's it's insane. It's really you're you're like. They are something. Um, and, you know, like I've I've definitely, you know, I've anchored my boat and just sat there and let yeah. them come to me. Yeah. I mean, you I you've probably seen my technique or heard about my technique yeah. of, of drawing them in. I don't yeah. know if you've ever done that yourself. Um, I don't think I'd want to do that down in Florida with all the alligators. Now, alligators, probably that's the problem. That's yeah, the problem. But, you know, here I don't have to worry about gators. And, <laughs> you know, like I'll tell you, man, like intimidating when you see six or eight bowfin come out of the weeds and they're yeah. circling your boat you know they're and and i used to fish out of a canoe you know that a lot of, i've done a lot of time in canoes and when you're you know when you've got like an eighth of an inch of fiberglass between you and that many bowfin you're like damn man i don't want to fall <laughs> you know like you know, I, I always, and I know of, I don't know anybody who would probably appreciate this more than you, but I don't know if you've looked at stuff in the fossil record about Bowfin, um, cause that's kind of fascinating to me. And, you know, there's, we now have two species that we're aware of, right? Right, right. You know, we, you've, you've got Amy Acalva, which I've never caught. Mm -hmm. And, and up here we have, uh, the, the I spot Bowfin, the, uh, um, Amy Acelicata, right? Yeah, Which yeah. is, you know, so they're different fish now. Or, well, there's a paper suggesting they should be made made into two separate species. It's probably going to take a couple of years before it's completely accepted by science. But the the all the you know all the genetic and 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 morphological data is all there, and it's you know it's pretty much just waiting for the signatures to be to dry on the paper, right? Um. 
But you look back in the fossil record, they were both in there eight feet long. Yeah. I mean, that's terrifying. That is that horrifying. Is- terrifying <laughs> i mean and I, and I love it i mean like yeah. you know like i've said to people like you know if if we had if we had that bowfin in lake champlain right now like kids would be going missing routinely mm-hmm. you know um that is like that is a like i think that's right up there with like a saltwater crocodile terrifying yeah you know i mean like genuinely like that's a horrific animal you know like like people talk about how scary snakeheads are okay well you know snakeheads can do some pretty pretty gnarly things but an eight foot bowfin that's 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 horrifying yeah i don't even want to know what that thing's capable of if it's even like if it is i do i do want to know yeah if it's if it's to scale (laughs) like if it's the same degree of sheer ferocity just on a magnified scale what a horrifying thought Right. But right. I mean, yeah. I, and I love it. And you know, I, I absolutely love it. I mean, that's that's you know, that's the the kind of fish that's taking down mm-hmm. small crocodiles or yeah. alligators or you know, whatever. Um, I, I you know, and, and that's fun to think about, but you know, looking at what we have for, for these two species of amia, you know, like what cool fish, what um, you know, like amazing to have fish that have survived as long as they have right and you know overall i would say they're doing you know generally pretty well as a species or as as two species um they're they're in um they're not really in a huge diversity of habitats they they're always in the same similar types of habitats yeah but in those habitats they do really really well you know, I mean, they're perfectly suited for what they do. You know, yeah. it's, it's like it's, we were uh, talking earlier. They, they, you know, if if you've if you've got something that works, why why reinvent it? You know, you don't right. need to reinvent the wheel. Like these guys, you know, there's a reason that alligators and crocodiles haven't really changed their form for millions and millions of years. It's the same thing with the bowfin. You know, like those. You know, you look at a, a bowfin fossil from you know. 300 million years ago it's the same fish as what we got today yep um, I, I think if you can look at it with that kind of appreciation which i just don't understand people who don't right like that's all been that's always been the thing for me well it's part it's due in part to i've always been fascinated by wildlife in general but it's like yep. i recognize that immediately like like when you peer into the eyes of one of these things like you're looking at something that has it's it's really i think it's just hard for people to like quantify 300 million years like we're too small like as human beings we can't (laughs) comprehend (laughs) what all has transpired in that period of time and that one fish one small fish has come through that and and we're privileged that such a thing is still here today it's like some people don't have that and it's it's a damn shame um i will say like for me we grew up um just backstory on me we moved like every three years when i was a kid I think that's part of the reason why I've not been as much of like a I, – I definitely appreciate home waters to a degree, but because I was sort of stripped of the opportunity to have home water, like we moved mm-hmm. all the time. <clears throat> but I do have like Homer fish, you know, fish that are near yeah. and dear. And I think um, because we grew up moving all the time, it sort of forced me into like a level of isolation. I just never had the opportunity yeah. to make lifelong friends. So, but, and at the same time, I always loved, 
isolation. I love being alone. It's so good for like my soul. And I got to witness the culture of bank fishermen stomping them, hating yeah. on them. And I just, I don't know, man. It was like just a weird moment. And then, then I found yeah. the, the gas bag thing. And I got, I was, I probably pestered those guys on that Bofin Anglers group so bad. <laughs> I think it was like around 2002. I mean, they probably, I thought I knew it all too. I thought I knew everything about those fish. I had no idea. But, uh, right. <laughs> but man, like to this day, like I'm going tomorrow for them. Haven't been out in a while. And it's like nothing. I mean, I catch a Goliath grouper and it's cool, but nothing like speaks to me and like draw, like, I don't know. It's like, it grounds me as an angler. It's very important. The same way that people need to return to their home waters. I need yep. to return to that one type of fish. Cause like, yeah. But anyway, that's my bowfin tangent. I don't yeah. want to. I don't. I don't want to hijack the conversation. I, but it's like, I, I get you, man. Yeah. Like I. I feel you. I mean, like there. There is something, you know. Like I. I feel the same way about Bowfin. You know. I mean, mm. like you've seen my logo, the yeah. logo for my business. You know, masterclass angling. Is, Where's my decal? Oh. Uh, yeah, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta send you some. Uh, I'll get your address at the end. Um, yeah, because I got, I got the, the. You saw the cool new, uh, the blackout one that I did, oh, the black on black. Awesome. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll send you some. Um, there, yeah. Um, and and you know, like that. I, I really, I think I really became pretty well known as an angler because of Bowfin. You know, I, mm-hmm. I owe a lot to Bowfin, and, um, and 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 I think that they are probably one of the most fascinating fish out there there's nothing else like them i mean they are similar to snakeheads and they are similar to south american wolffish they are similar to yeah. they're they're th- that's the thing they're similar to you take a if when when you go catch a snakehead you'll very quickly find i mean the habitat they live in there's some parallels <laughs> the way they look that's about it though i don't feel yeah. like they're there's not a lot of other similarities. Well, I've, you know, I've, I've kept, I've kept snakeheads in, in aquariums. And so, yeah. you know, I know, you know, like they're, they're, they're definitely, they're different fish. They definitely behave differently. Um, but you know, like they're the, they're, they're the honey badger of Lake Champlain. <laughs> you know, oh, do you yeah. remember those, the viral yeah. vid- videos of the honey badger? Yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> like that's, that's, that's the way I look at Bopin. They just, you know, like, you know, Putting it bluntly, both bofin just don't give a shit. You know, they're no. like they're well, just gonna go out and do, do their ma- thing. A male bofin guarding fry is one of the most intimidating fish. Oh, yeah. I could that is a scary animal oh, that would be gotta, very happy to go after a human being. They don't care. Yeah, that's an incredible thing. I have I have two stories for you there. So first is um in, in 1929, New York State did a biological survey of the Champlain Valley, mm-hmm. and Bofin are in there. And the biologists who wrote this actually said they were standing on the bank, and Bofin launched themselves out of the water after them. Okay, and you know you you hear about that, and you know I told that story to 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 the guys who were doing um to to the, the producer of River Monsters when they came up and they filmed with me. And, uh, you know, it's kind of a, it's kind of a fun, fun anecdote. And, but you know, there's that part of you that's like, yeah, right. That doesn't really happen. Last year I was out with, uh, with a long-term client of mine, uh, Richard Hart, who's, uh, obsessed with bowfin snakeheads and, uh, and all, all sorts of weird fish like we are. 
Um, and we were in this backwater and there was this male bowfin guarding his, his fry. So I'm here, I am in a 15 foot toey. Rich is a big guy. He's like six, three, you know, it, it, up in the front of my boat. He's a big, big, huge dude in the front. And this bowfin, which was like 22 inches, launches itself out of the water at my 15 foot boat. Wow. Yeah. Right. You know, this is this is like the aquatic <laughs> equivalent of like red winged blackbirds going after a bald eagle or like a clownfish pushing away a shark. You know, yeah. this is, you know, like these things are, you know, they're badass. They are yeah. truly badass animals. Well, when we get off this call, you'll have to check your phone. You may have seen this one. I just sent you one of my fa- my all time favorite videos. It is. I've seen two different videos of that um, behavior. Well, now three different videos. I saw one of a guy in a kayak, and it launches out at, at him in the kayak. But this is one of my favorite ones. It's somebody just standing, I don't know, presumably on the shore, maybe waiting. And you can see the fry coming up. Like, you can see him. Kind of bullet. <laughs> yep. And then you just see a dorsal. It's very ominous and scary when you watch yeah, the video. Yeah. This bowfin in this video I sent you launches itself, mouth agape at the camera person, over and over and oh, over. Oh, nice. Gonna, you're going to love it. It's really cool. I, I, I'm, I'm psyched to check that out. There's just a wild, wild animal that's willing yeah. to do that kind of stuff. Probably one of the best <laughs> parents. I guess the only difference there is, I don't know, you talk about the parallels with the snakeheads because the snakeheads yep. are similar. The only difference is that the male and the female will guard the fry probably as aggressively. But it's also another thing is like I've been fortunate enough to chase and catch bowfin in seven different states. So I've gotten to like observe them in a, a, like a lot of various different locations. Not not and, in Vermont uh, yet. Not in Vermont, but we we I would That'll love happen. to do that. It was the only place I've ever observed both. And I'd always maintained that they're kind of a short range predator. Like you have to like a short, small strike radius. Like you know, I don't know yeah. body a body length striking. Big difference with the snakeheads. The snakeheads same way. I I feel like. They detect vibration, and they rely upon that very similarly to the way bowfin do. But a snakehead, what's so fascinating about them is they'll torpedo across from 10, 15 feet away. Yeah. They're very receptive to the disturbances on the water when they're really fired up. But I've never seen bowfin to do that anywhere I've ever fished. It's like you have to be on fr- in front of them. But uh, uh, You know, it's, it's interesting you say that because, <laughs> like, I've had um, several times while pike fishing. Um, I've caught bowfin and, you know, maybe, you know, like I'm making long casts with a fly and, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, wham, they could get a big pike on it. And it's like, oh, wow, that's, that's a, yeah. that's a bowfin, you know, could the fly have just been going across the path of that bowfin? Yeah. But, you know, very different than how I normally fish for yeah. them, you know, where now, I'm I've putting had- the fly right down in front of them. I will have them track on a lure. You've probably seen this too, but it's like, you know, like a spinner bait or a, or a chatter bait. Yeah. I'll use like search baits and stuff like that. But now I've had it to where I'm bringing it in and you see a wake immediately behind the lure and it's a bit of bowfin on it. But yeah. I'm kind of convinced that it passed over it, got its attention, and then it turned and followed. In yeah. Virginia, the, it's the only place I've been while snakehead fishing. We would catch these bowfin and they would be, you'd see them torpedo out from, you know, 10 feet away and just blast the lure. I'm like, I've never seen that. And that's like part of yeah. me wonders, 
But granted, I don't frog fish for bowfin a lot. Maybe I just need to do it more so I have the opportunity yeah. to observe the behavior. But I always wondered if like the snakeheads are sort of forcing that out of them. Yeah, that's just a it's an yeah. interesting question. I mean, there's no science there behind is. that, but it's like oh, it's the only place I've ever seen them do that. But yeah, that's interesting. interesting. I, I mean, I know people who've used frog flies around here um, and and use top water, and that's something I probably should explore more. Um, I really have done almost none of it you know like i i'm not i have to i'm not much of a topwater guy myself um yeah. you know i i think it, i think it's a lot of fun um and i'm trying to get into it more but um you know like with both in like the hunting aspect and and the like you know the way i do it the technique it's i i just think it's so much fun you know yeah. like um and it's up close and personal and and the fights are just you know, there's something about like you hook a bowfin at a rod length and and like <laughs> it's just it's ugly, you know, it's a it's a bare knuckle barroom brawl that that is anybody's fight, you know. Like I last summer I I broke off some bowfin. I had 16 pound fluorocarbon on there, and you know, like 16 pound fluorocarbon doesn't break easily. Right. You know, I went to, to, to 20 pound and I, you know, and I was, you know, like I, that was more, I was, I was able to land more fish that way, but you know, 16 pound, I should not be losing fish. And I was losing fish and, you know, like, it's not like my first rodeo or anything either, but you know, when you, when you get a big bobin that just like takes you out on 16 pound tip and you're like, Oh, okay. You know, and that, that up close and personal fight, you know, it, they, they do that, you know, the crocodile death roll that they do. Oh, they get into, it. And yeah. You're like, Whoa, you know, it's, it's crazy. That is something I really want to explore in the near future. That, that adaptation they have to spend. I'm not like what for anybody listening, like we're describing like a death roll, but it is blinding speed, like a football spiral. And you always wonder yeah. like what, like they have got to be grabbing chunks of meat under the water and using that to rip chunks off. Why else would a yeah. fish be able to do that? I'm like, I'm very interested. I yeah. want to get a, like a GoPro or something and drop it underwater and like position a big chunk of tilapia carcass. Yeah. And what, and one of my real hot spots, I've got areas where I can go and catch a hundred bowfin, but they're all like, you know, they're little ones. Yeah. But I'm like, I want to see that behavior in action naturally. Surely they're using that to like, I don't know if they're eating on. I, I'm well, they, they are. So I've, I've had, a, I've experienced this a couple of times where I've, I've, you know, when you're pike fishing, um, you know, and, and you've told me you've never caught pike before. Yeah. Um, but you know, when you're pike fishing, um, Pike just absolutely inhale things, right? They just they suck stuff down, and and as much as you will try to to not deep hook them, you're you're going to deep hook some fish, and it, and it tends to be the smaller ones, and they bleed out pretty quickly. And you know, like mm -hmm. you know, like I don't always have the resources to you know in the canoe to keep a fish to bring it home for for somebody, you know. So like I I remember one time I put back um was a twenty inch uh um pike and uh threw it back into the lake and you know i tried to revive it but it just didn't and i was like you know not much i can do came back 15 minutes later and like two-thirds of it was gone oh my gosh and, 
and and it was both in you know it was like you could you could see the bite marks on it um and you know like i think i think you're right you you nailed it um and and i've seen it um so around here one of the things that that is really fascinating with bowfin and i've seen this so many times now that i know that it's 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 totally legit and i actually witnessed it one time um so right after the bowfin are done spawning the bullhead go into spawn mode okay mm-hmm. so the males are still guarding the babies and the females having produced all those eggs and dumping all those eggs are just they're looking for meals yeah and you've got these pairs of big bullhead that dig you know they 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 make they make these little burrows yeah right and um for years i was seeing the remnants of this behavior i would find i would find just the head of a bullhead <laughs> okay so and sometimes i'd find the head of the bullhead and that it'd still be like trying to breathe the mouth yeah. would be going but oh, i mean man. it was chopped off right behind the spines right behind the pelvic fins right behind the dorsal boom chopped right there and i was like what is going on you know like who is who is doing this you know like why are some some guy going out and just chopping off the heads of bullhead or you know guys catching bullhead and throwing the, just the heads back in and i was like that didn't make any sense and then i saw a big mama bowfin swimming around mm. with a bullhead in, in its mouth yeah <laughs> <laughs> and i was like oh i see what's going on now um and um and i saw that multiple times i actually had a bull bull bowfin that had a bullhead in its mouth and i dropped a fly in front of it and it tried to grab the fly you know like (laughs) you know that that says something about you know the appetite and the aggressiveness and the curiosity of those Mm -hmm. fish you know i think i think half the time when they bite something they're not necessarily trying to bite it they're trying to like figure out what it is and yeah you know, there it's it's a curiosity factor for them. They're just like, what is it? And they don't have hands to grab it, so they just bite it with their mouth. Um, I think that's their their main sensory organ. Um, but I actually witnessed um from my canoe a bowfin going after a bullhead, you know, like after many years of being in these same environments, you know, like how yeah. does this all go down? And I actually watched it go down. <laughs> That's cool. And you know, and it grabbed like grabbed it, you know, they grab it and they they try to turn it so it's it's tail first. I mean, this is this is intelligent behavior, right? Yeah, they know that they can't swallow it head first because they can't get it in their head, their mouth because of those spines, but they know to grab it and then swallow it tail first. And then they get in there. And that's when they start doing the roll to mm-hmm. tear their get their teeth to tear through the body of that catfish to be able to swallow that. Because that's a big meal, right? You know, yeah. A 10 inch, a 10 inch or a 14 inch or 16 inch uh, bullhead is a big meal for a bowfin. And if you think about a big female bowfin who's just dumped, you know, thousands of eggs um, and, and is just like, have you caught post-spawn female bowfin? Oh yeah. Yeah. And they're super, super skinny. I know. And that's so frustrating because some of the longest ones I've ever caught were post-spawn. I'm like, damn it. Actually, it's funny because for years, years, up until this year, I'd never caught one in the teens. I mean, I've caught so many 
10, 12 pounders. Could never do it. And I finally, because there would always postpone females. Yeah. I just, I started focusing a lot more in the last, I'd say, two years on fishing for them in deep water, like 15 feet of water. And then I started catching like, I don't know, it seemed like more females in deeper water. But, but anyway, yeah. Interesting. To, to con- continue that. Cause I'd done the same thing. Like, I, I would, I would mostly only find the big, big females in shallow water, either while they're like preoccupied with spawn or post spawn. So I could never find the big, big, thick ones, but I started fishing deeper water and getting a little bit of huh. better luck. But well, I've I've definitely found uh, big females in in uh, in shallow water, and that might just be a factor of Lake Champlain and and the environment. That no, it's definitely not that they don't do it, but it was you know I don't know. Yeah, um, more attention on that. Yeah, um, I just catch less of them. I'll go out for like I'll fish for like eight hours and catch one or two, but it's a really, really, really big one. And yeah. I've always it also makes me wonder because I'll fish a, a very small hole that's extremely yeah. deep, catch one fish out of it, or it's like you know it's big enough to where it could be a community hole. I always wondered if like the if they the big females don't I don't know it's like they own the spot because it's like yeah. I'll never catch them with other ones too much. But so anyway. you know that might be a factor of. Calva versus a celicata. Um, because um this is kind of a fun story. The first year of the Vermont Master Angler program, um the the most the the, the species that was most entered that year was 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 bowfin. And uh and out of the 52 or 53 bowfin in the master angler program that first year, um about half of them were caught by me or people who were with me. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we entered, we entered a pile of them, but this one day, the, one of the two biologists who, um, who set up the master angular program, this guy, Sean Good, he and I were out uh, on this, in this bay when it was a hot, hot August evening. And it was one of those days it was so hot and humid. You just had like, you know, the, the sweat rolling down your back, down in your ass crack. And you're just like, Oh, you know, like it was, yeah. <laughs> it was painful to have the sunglasses on your eyes. Cause then the sweat was just pouring down and you're just, your eyes were stinky. The bowfin were doing, it was, it was what I call the witching hour, which is like the last hour and a half of light. And mm. you know, that's, that's the time when things started getting really kind of things get spooky and yeah. i think you know what i'm talking about with, yeah. with both in it they start getting spooky uh and and in, in the best kind of way but these fish were they were on patrol and they were patrolling in groups of three or four and some were big we had this big yeah. piebald one that came by um and sean you know sean's the the isosid biologist for for um for vermont so he did he was trap netting he trap nets pikes every spring and you know so the, these are big trap nets you know with with big wings and you know they basically are they funnel all the fish into a big trap and it's not just pike that they get so he's handled this guy has handled you know thousands and thousands of bowfin and to see this guy get that fired up and excited like look at the size of that thing that's 34 inches that's yeah. <laughs> a you, you know like this is up you know and he's just like fired up that this is a massive mass and it was i i still i can still remember that fish and neither of us could get it um they are they will travel in in 
packs and they will yeah. hunt in packs. Here. I've seen that one time, but it was with a group. And this is weird. It's so strange. It's one of those fish that always keeps you guessing. Yeah. But to me, it seems so uncharacteristic to what I had observed with them over the years. Obviously, you can go to like a, a hole where it's like a communal thing. Like I've got right. spots where I'll go and catch one after another and after another. But it's always like it seems like it's always either small nomadic, like nomadic males or like, you know, bachelor males or maybe it's small female. I can never find it where the big ones always seem to be so isolated. It may be a difference, like you said, but there was a time in this one river in South Carolina. And it was a very clear river, like high visibility and kind of a lot of current. I'll never forget, I was gar fishing, and I saw a group. It, I don't know, it's probably five or six of them. And it wasn't just that they're near each other. Like, it's probably what you're describing. I mean, they're swimming side by side. They were swimming yeah. down the shoreline together, and then they stopped, and, like, they would look in. And then they turn and keep going and then stop and look in at the bank. I'm like, these things are working together. Like, they're hunting right. together. I was like, that's bizarre. Anyway, um, and terrifying. <laughs> yeah, it was weird. I and uh, yeah, I was. I tried to hook. I I think I dropped a bait in front of one of them and hooked it and it got off and then spooked them. But for whatever yeah. reason, our big females down here, they just don't seem to like to be near each other. It's like they just yeah. they're much more spaced out. But um, yeah, that anyway. that makes sense. And you know, I I think that there um there might you know there could be territoriality in in you know, Calva, um, it doesn't seem to be like, I don't see them fight one another. Like I've, mm -hmm. I've sat there and observed them and, you know, and they, I've watched them cross paths with one another. You know, when I, when I do a, you know, the splash bang, I'll have groups of them come in, you know, I'll have them all, they'll, they'll converge from different locations and they'll come in and they'll pass by each other. I've never seen them fight. You know, like I've never yeah. seen them like be aggressive with one another. I don't think. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen that either. I've seen it <clears throat> kind of during the spawning season where yeah, they seem real beat up. But that's, you know, a lot of fish do that. Yeah, yeah. But no, I, I've never seen that. I think one of the coolest things I've seen, I guess this goes back to the whole death rolling thing. Closest thing I've seen to it in real time. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's one of the coolest bowfin catches I've ever had. <clears throat> I was sight fishing for him on the Tamiami Trail in the Everglades. It's like this roadside canal. It just runs like yeah. the whole oh, yeah. the state. And um, there's a lot of bowfin in it. there. Oh, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of bowfin in there, but there's not a lot of big ones. I don't think that area really is fitting for larger bowfin. Um, although this one was probably a 28-inch fish. I mean, it was a decent one. That's good fish. But um, I'd seen it laying. I'd spotted a, a nice one. Now, the Tamiami Trail, it's really tough because there's this armada of Florida gar. Like, if you yeah. can get something, you have to get something below <laughs> all of these gar, you know, just to get it through them to whatever's on the bottom. So the bowfin on the bottom, the gar up top, the shiner will never, you'll never get it past the gar. But I had uh, dropped it to this bowfin. And the bowfin, you know, I saw that dorsal undulate. I'm like, oh, it's game time. Like, here we yeah. go. You know it's coming. Yeah, yeah. But before I could get it, a Florida gar grabbed it and started carrying it away. This bowfin followed the Florida gar. It was chasing it around, and it finally <laughs> it grabbed the shiner out of its mouth and went whipped it out of its mouth. And then I hooked the bowfin and caught it. I'm like, this nice. is awesome! <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome. It was nuts. It, it took it. Um, yeah, anyway, that's cool. I want to know because man, we're we went we the bowfin got us. It trapped us. Yeah, 
I, I, I knew that was going to happen. Yeah. I'm, I'm very, I'm, I'm very interested though, because people, you know, some people want to know oh, that's cool. They fight hard to get big. They excite you, but you know, I'm not learning anything. I am curious though, like you're, because you know, you're way up there in Vermont. I'm way down here in right. Florida. It's two different kinds of fish, but they're sort of similar. Right. What is like your, if you're going to go out for a day of both and I would say, you know, I know seasonally it might change a little bit, but let's say during the peak time frame that you're, that you're, um, sight fishing for them, like, what yeah. are you looking for? Like what water features and like, what, what is like your search pattern when you're looking for these fish? Like, where do you go? Is there a certain mm. type of weed or whatever, any of that stuff? Basically any shallow weedy area, you know, I have found them over, mucky bottoms where there's weeds i've found them over hard bottoms where there's weeds um i i think uh cattail edges reed edges is always good um you know shallow creeks um you know like uh lily beds mm -hmm. um you know really shallow warm water I think if there's anything that's really in common with all of these places, it's a combination of weeds and kind of a darker bottom. And I think that darker bottom is what allows that water to warm up yeah. um, and makes it so much more suitable for both. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's that combination of shallow water and weeds and, and um, you know, I'm I, like, I rarely find them around rocks rarely find them around rocks um yeah no so i mean you know lake champlain um with lake champlain it's you know we have these large wetland areas and and it's really that wetland kind of area it, a lot of it's going to depend on the time of year too you know like in the springtime, like right now, we were talking about um the dynamic system that lake champlain is um right now when things are kind of flooded i'll be up in the trees you know yeah. i mean it's like flooded forest amazon kind of stuff That's cool. um <laughs> you know like what one of my best friends uh my buddy kevin you know i mentioned earlier um first time uh, i i fished with him i was guiding him and it was for bowfin and we'd had a really really rainy summer so the water was up at over 98 feet and you know, in, in August and it was in those trees. So we, we actually had a canopy on those trees and we were in these, in, in like a flooded forest hunting bowfin in yeah. the trees. <laughs> and, uh, I, the first one he hooked, I'll never forget this. This is great. That thing hooks the, he hooks it and it goes around one small swamp maple circles and figurates around another one and jumps in the air and breaks the 20 pound test it sounded like a 22 going off Come that thing. <laughs> yeah and he turns and looks at me and i was like that's a bullfin and he's like i gotta do that again yeah. <laughs> i was like yeah yes yeah. yes you do <laughs> um and um you know really it's a combination of of like weeds and 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 shallow water um and warm water um and warm is a relative term you know like in in the springtime like i've been finding both in the past week um in you know two three feet of water uh sometimes you know if you get sunny 
Uh, I got a video of uh, my my friend uh, uh, Madeline Zukowski last week. Uh, we had s- some sun, and there was this female bowfin just lounging about on these dead weeds, this dead brown grass. And I was like, "It's right yeah. there!" And, and you know, I'm on the polling platform, <laughs> and and you could see her, and, and the bowfin grabs the fly and misses it and takes off. And it was just, it's just one of those like cool moments because it's just sitting there. Yeah. You know, I've I've been. In the springtime, when when the water's just starting to warm up, I've been wading in some of these same areas, and you can walk up to a bowfin and pretty much like touch it. You know, like they're just sitting there, like getting a sun yeah. bath. You know, it's, it's all the big females, uh, and I don't recommend putting your fingers anywhere near their head in those right, situations. Yeah. <laughs> so if you ever do that, don't don't know fingers in bowfin mouth is is just not a good mm. not a good combination. Yeah, if you like your fingers, that is. It's a, it's funny though, um, you know. I don't know if you ever see this too, but like, well, I, I think I see it a lot on the Tamiami Trail. That's one thing I'm very envious of the water that you have. And mm-hmm. I fish similar waters in like South Carolina. We had some options where you you know you really had a a, a real chance at doing a lot of sight fishing for them. Here, yeah. there's so much black water. It's very hard to like find areas to do it. Tamiami Trail, you can kind of, it's just kind of a cheap environment though. So, but you yeah. have a chance to just walk parallel to the canal and and pick the one you want to catch. Right. But I've had times where I saw bowfin clear as day and I'm like convinced that I had to jump on them. They didn't see me. And I could bounce, cut bait off their forehead, a live shiner wiggling in front of their nose, bopping them in the head with a lure and they, they wouldn't eat. I'm like, what in the world? Like I'm thinking these things are supposed to be like, you know, the the opportunist feeders, but yep. I always wonder if they know I'm there or like what's the gig? Like why would they turn down the easy meal? There's so much other fish in the water that would yeah. just happily take the food that you'd think that they'd at least get that competitive bite, like eat it so something else can't. But um there's definitely times where I've observed that. I'm like, what what is the difference today? Yeah. Why is this yep. thing not eating? I uh I've had that same thing happen. Um, you know, one thing I found with with flies, um, with the, the technique I use, you know, I'm not using anything real huge. Like you, you've probably seen flies that I use. They're yeah. not, they're not super big. You know, like, um, like I, I don't, I've I just cleaned, put all the fly, the bowfin flies I recently tied into my into my fly box. But, you know, like this is, you know, I'll show you on the camera. This is a size two-aught hook. This is yeah. a, this is a bowfin, bowfin rig. You know, most of my flies are, you know, two and a half, three inches tops. Yep. And and I think you get an advantage doing that, right? And um, so they're not super big. And, and I don't think, you know, I think, yes, they are grabbing it because it's a meal. But I also think it's like <laughs> it's not an intimidating meal, right? So even if they're full, I mean, like, like I was saying, I had, I had one with a, you know, mouth literally full of a bullhead, mm-hmm. try to grab this fly. And, um, and it wasn't successful because it had a bullhead in his mouth. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I think it's, it's this combination of like, you know, that's a quick, easy meal right in front of my face. And, and also like, curiosity and also like you're pissing me off you know mm-hmm. and and i think it's a combination of those three and 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 if you put it in the right place and and you just like you know 
wiggle their nose. Like I've, I've worked both in like that for, you know, sometimes five, 10 minutes before yeah. they grab. <laughs> um, I've had them in the springtime. Um, I've, I remember a few times like push pulling my client. Um, for like a quarter mile chasing one that's, you know, it's in like four to five feet of water and we're chasing after it and they just keep putting the fly in front of it, putting the fly in front of it. And it's, you know, it's, it's cruising at about a, a foot underneath the surface and boom, 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 boom. And then finally they just turn and grab it. Yeah. Um, but I've also, you know, like I've experienced what you've experienced and um, they won't touch it. And I, I don't have an answer in those situations. Yeah, it's um, kind of a weird one. Um, it is. I do. Uh, not... I end up resorting to trying to piss them off, and then they, and then they just leave. But it's funny that yeah. you describe like the flies. I've tried to tell that to other people too, who are much more interested in throwing lures at them. Is there's been a lot of times where I was sight fishing, or times where I had opportunities to sight fish with lures, and they didn't want anything to do with the lure, so I downsized, and it was the difference maker. I don't, you know I. I think it's um I I think it's just like it's easier for them. You know, like if you think about it, um you're going to expend more energy. You know, if you, if you want to if you want to look at this budget-wise, energy budget-wise, and I think mm-hmm. that's a good way to look at um how fish feed, right? And some fish, you got fish like muskies that they're going to just eat something, you know, a third their 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 length and sit there for a week and just be like all right i'm good you know like i don't need to eat a lot because i'm eating whatever i'm eating is something big right yep but then you've got other fish like bowfin that are just constantly on the hunt and um if you can take down a thousand calories in a day you know and and i'm just throwing a number out there i don't know any I don't know the caloric intake of a bowfin every day. (laughs) Um, But, um, you know, like if you can just, you know, pop in a thousand plus calories in a day just by popping leeches and dragonfly nymphs and and crayfish, um, just by sucking them in Mm -hmm. wicked quick, why wouldn't you, right? And, 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 and like, for an intelligent animal, like, you know, like, why am I going to pass up a small, easy pellet of energy, um, you know, instead of having to hunt down like a big item of prey? Yeah. You know, and I think that there's that factor. And, you know, the amount of times that I have caught fish, both in that are just like sleeping or just like, you know, barely moving or, you know, they come out to see what's going on and <laughs> boom, you just use that curiosity against them. Yep. And then, um, when, uh, you know, when you, when you set the hook, I tell them, you know, like, Hey, you got to get that initial whack, but, um, uh, then you got to start thinking like you're a 30 year old guy living in his mom's basement. Whack, whack, whack. You got to hit it three more times after you get the initial one. So whack, 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 whack. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, that's, the, that's the way. doing it with a fly. Seem, I think a lot of that has to do with, I don't know. It's like, because you're using a fly rod and there's like less of a stout backbone on it and you're, I'm guessing you're because you're dropping it in front of their face, you're having to set upright. Right. So, you know, the hook set is really interesting um with a bowfin on a fly. Um, and and this is kind of it's kind of cool, but it's also El Succo at the same time. Um, 
So I've had several people set the hook using their wrist and going back like this. Yeah. And the fly rod breaks in the first section between the cork. <laughs> you know, it breaks in that lower section, mm-hmm. which is really interesting because you you wouldn't think of it breaking there, but that's where you're putting all that pressure when you're going back. So you actually have to, when you set the hook, you go straight up. You, oh, okay. You, you, you don't, you don't go back. You kind of just go straight up. Yeah. Um, and that way you're keeping the rod parallel to the water rather than torquing it back. Right. Okay, so, yeah. you know, with, I think you can get away with it. spinning rods are, are designed differently. And I think uh, bait casters are designed bit differently so that you can kind of use your wrist more, but the way I, a fly rod cast, is not really designed to have yeah. that kind of like same pressure. Um, and, uh, you know, there's, it's kind of like, it's a modified trout set. Um, you know, trout set is when you're setting the, the hook with the rod on a fly rod. Mm-hmm. Um, and most people who are fishing big game these days are using what's called a strip set where you're actually stripping the line to set the hook. Okay. And because you're, you have your rod pointed at the fly and you set the hook by, you know, stripping that fly yeah. and then you're, you know, you're not actually using the rod. You're using the line to yeah. to drive that hook home, which makes a lot of sense. You know, in the case of that big muskie I got with Blaine, that was a strip set. Um, but the way I played the game with Bowfin, you know, I've got a super short leader. You were you're talking tactics and 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 tackle. You know, I use a short leader. It's typically four to five feet long at the most, mm. and you might have might have six or eight inches of fly line out from your rod tip. And then you're, you know, and it's a pretty stout leader, you know, typically just a straight piece of, you know, 16 or 20 pound fluorocarbon. Um, I started using like a heavier piece of um, like 30 or 35 pound um, that I would, um, I'll put like a, like a swivel or a, um, um, a ring, um, a tippet ring in there, um, to, to put my, um, the leader onto, uh, mainly because I was finding that if I was just using a straight 16 pound, um, through the loop at the end of a fly line, it was cutting into the fly line. Um, although if you do a doubled loop, that tends to not happen. Um, but, um, you know, and this just straights the fly. My flies are really heavy. I mean, you you just saw that that blank. I use yeah, I call yeah. the, the the call them blanks before I before I tie on them. So this has got large lead eyes, and then like eight wraps of 035 lead. You know, this thing is you know like if you if you can't hook them with this, you can knock them out with it. You know, it's pretty pretty mm-hmm. heavy. Um, and and I you know I go with those 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 super heavy flies. You're not really casting them. Uh, you yeah. certainly can cast them, but you're you're putting it down in front of them. Um, I don't want to give away all of my super secret techniques um, yeah, yeah. to the entire um, internet, um, but there's definitely <laughs> some 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 tricks um, that I have found over the years on on how you place the fly, how you put it into the water, how you move that fly when it's in the water uh and i see a lot of people make this like see similar mistakes time and time and time again 
you know, a lot of them um, will actually get the fly down at the fish's eye level and then move it straight across. Yeah. And, and I was like, do you think that a dragon or dragonfly nymph or a crayfish or a leech moves straight across or do they kind of hop around mm-hmm. and they're like oh and i was like that's why i told you not to do that yeah. <laughs> and then you did that and the bowfin got spooked because that thing is not moving naturally if you're moving a fly naturally in front of a bowfin i've had it you know i've 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 worked bowfin five ten minutes before they grabbed and they yep. don't spook sometimes they won't spook they'll just kind of like okay i'm uh you know I don't know what's going on here, but I don't want us to hang out anymore. And they just kind of saunter off. Yeah. I'm sure you've seen that too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like they're they're just like, yeah. And 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 I think that there's just days that you catch, you know, like um um the first time I fished with Blaine Chocolate, he came up, um, he was up here filming um an episode of Das Boat, mm-hmm. uh, the episode that I was on, um and Bofin, and he and I fished together one day after we'd done some filming he's just like i you know we did some some um filming and we were done for the day and uh he's like i just want to go fishing i was like i'll take you <laughs> you know like yeah. <laughs> no question I'll, I'll take you out and yeah. put you on some of my fish and uh and we did that um and on the way back i looked i was like blaine you see that and he's like oh we're we're kind of screwed we had a full moon and mm. you know i hadn't really put two and two together with um with moon phases and the solar tables and i hadn't you know you read about that if you're if you're fishing any length of time you start oh, yeah, crossing yeah. paths with that and and i was always kind of like yeah i've never really noticed any 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 correlation between moon phases or anything like that and he's like it's like i don't i don't like to guide on full moons he's like i don't like to you know like He's like, we're we're in trouble. We're gonna have a tough time, and he was right. Um, and th- those both interfeeding at night at that point, we had a really yeah. tough time getting those. And um, and I had him in one of the best spots on Lake Champlain for for both in. Um, and um, it was it was challenging, and I've started paying attention to that. And I I've noticed a correlation between you know solar table and and both in activity, and mm-hmm. and I think. Um, you know, between that, you also have to look at local weather pattern. Um, I've had, you know, I've had situations in like June where it got down to like the low forties overnight. It was oh, yeah. cold overnight. And then, you know, that next day, early in the morning, those fish are just not, you know, they're buried in the mud. They're not interested mm-hmm. in eating. Um, and if the day doesn't warm, if you don't get much sun and the day doesn't warm up, those fish just don't ever you know, go on the feed. Um, yep. so your, you know, your opportunities are, are very limited. Um, I've also, you know, I think that, I think that there's just times that the, the, they're full <laughs> or they're just not yeah. interested, you know, like I, I think that happens one of those with ones that'll always keep you guessing. Uh, you know, what gets oh, me yeah. is the photos of people catching them through the ice. Um, <laughs> and, and recently I've seen these, I've seen two different videos where somebody had the underwater camera. You might've seen this one. They had the underwater camera at the hole and the bowfin will come up to the hole, like the hole in the ice. From, yeah. I don't even know how deep. And they're like, they're putting their nose at the hole, like trying to almost swim through it. I'm like, what are they they're doing? They're getting air. They're getting air. That's what I figured. And um, on this post I saw, I, I had 
kind of theorized. I was like, you know, they probably saw the hole in the ice and they're going to try to take a gulp. But the person that had posted it said that that's very common. They're like, oh, they do it all the time. Yeah. I'm like, that is yeah. so weird. I want to end on one thing because I know we're sure. coming up on about two hours. <laughs> we're just going to have to do this There's again a shocker. Sometime. Yeah, absolutely. Gonna, um, you know, you mentioned earlier that you, you owe a lot to Bofin. And I think on the flip side of that, a fish like that owes a lot to to you because you've taken a very active like stewardship it's one thing to like enjoy the fish thank you for yourself um or enjoy them and share them in echo chambers in like bowfin groups but to go a yeah. step further and to seize upon uh opportunities to you know show them in something like meat eater or on podcasts or on river monsters river monsters yeah um, that's big the fish just need it thanks, they really man. need it but thanks it's also that you've it's become part of your 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 business to a degree. I mean, you're 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 getting clients who want who are paying you for an experience, and yeah. and just this like shift in the paradigm that I think both of us have witnessed. Where not that long ago they were the scorn of society, but we're sort of getting into a day and age where you're seeing them on a meat eater, you're seeing them on oh, bigger yeah. platforms. Do you, are you getting people that are specifically reaching out and saying, "I want to come catch like uh, like." this fish like is that like what i mean oh all the time i for the past 10 years i mean that's 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 uh, you know that's been a big part of my my (laughs) my guide service um you know that's one of the reasons i have that as a logo that's you know people come to me for bowfin and and they want to you know they're that's that's probably one of the most commonly asked for species um, I really do think that that bow fishing is having an impact on on the larger bowfin. The conservation message: um, Stop shooting native fish with arrows. That's all I'm going to say. Don't be a <laughs> dumbass and stop shooting fish with arrows. Just stop. Just just stop. The right. photo and of the I, world I, record is uh, pretty astonishing. You know, you don't know how tall I, the guy I, is. Have I've never, I've never, I've never seen it. Oh, I can send it to you. The guy yeah, is, um, he's about as like 80s as they come. Like, uh, I don't know. He's, uh, he's, <laughs> uh, he's got one of those like foam trucker hats that sits high on your hat. Head, oh, like nice. Elmer Fudd, and he's yeah. holding it. This thing's head is at his waistline and its tail is dragging the ground. And that one was listed as 41 inches. I, I mean, I have a hard time. 41 like, inches? I have a hard time believing it. Wow, uh, that is a pig. Sean had <laughs> said 35 inches was the, was the state. Was the Seems more record. reasonable to me. Yeah. I just, I just, yeah. I just have too hard of a time believing 41. But um, anyway, Drew, we've gone. This might be the longest episode I've ever done. <laughs> I knew it would happen to get two bofin possessed people. And just open the open the airwaves. It's just (laughs) nothing else got even was able to get squeezed in topic wise. So we'll have to talk because I really I had it on my list. I wanted to know more about the fly fishing for gar. Like I want to bring on. I want to do a whole thing specific to that because I think it's. What what are you coming up here, man? (laughs) Drew, uh, I'll say this: a pleasure. I know we have described your uh, your well-roundedness that ex- extends far <laughs> beyond just Bofin, even though we did not paint that picture well at all during this episode. But I would urge people who are listening, if you've endured over two hours of us talking, <laughs> to go and check out uh, Drew's pages or primary page just to see some of the fish you're catching. Um, direct anybody towards, you know, maybe your guide service page yep. or your social pages somewhere where they could link up to you you're kind of like me you're very open with building it up but how can people find you yeah uh well uh, 
Best place is uh, is on Instagram at Masterclass Angling, all one word. Um, I have MasterclassAngling.com. Um, my website is in dire need of of a, an upgrade, and uh, and I I, I got to get on that. Um, I've been a little busy with a few other things like going to Patagonia. You know, you can reach me that way. Um, if you want to just send me an email directly, it's ma- masterclassangling at gmail.com. And uh, yeah, I'm happy to happy to help out. Um, totally you know, get like, that. Uh, I, I, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a lot of advice on, on what gear you need and, and, uh, and, you know, I'm happy to show you my flies, um, and, and hopefully at some point, uh, um, fly company will pick up, um, my fly patterns. I got some that are interested, um, but yes, thank you for having me on too. Been a pleasure. Looking forward to uh, uh, you know one of these days we'll 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 get together. I got to come down there. I want to. I, I really want to do. Uh, I'd like to see. I'd like to get an Amy Acalva, uh, but I'd really like to do that uh, the juvenile Goliath grouper and the man oh, yeah. deal that you do. That's a blast. <laughs> <Just> like, <laughs> anyway, Drew. Uh, All right, we'll have to do this thank again. You. Touch on some other yes. subjects, but yeah. We'll have to do the no bowfin episode. Right. Yeah. We'll have to put some kind of wager on it. Every time somebody says that they owe the other person a dollar. Oh, he bankrupt by the end of the conversation. Oh yeah. Yeah. When, <laughs> with, with you and I, it's going to be, it's going to be a problem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the best kind of problem. <laughs> oh man. Well, all right. Awesome. Dude. Well, we'll be in Thank touch. you so much. Yep. Look forward easy. to it, man. Thank you for listening to the boundless pursuit podcast. If you enjoyed this show, your feedback, comments, and reviews are very important to me. Also, this podcast is just one element to a much bigger content outlet. I urge you to head over to www.haverodswilltravel.com where you'll find audio, visual, and written editorial content. That is three dimensions of awesome fishing content brought to you by a very dynamic team of anglers. I hope that you'll tune in next week as we continue to build this program and have interesting and skilled anglers each Thursday. Thank you for listening.